so starting top left of the page. A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for a time of adversity. One who has unreliable friends soon comes to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. Perfume and incense bring joy to the heart, and the pleasantness of a friend springs from their heartfelt advice. The poor are shunned even by their neighbours, but the rich have many friends. Wealth attracts many friends, but even the closest friend of the poor person deserts them. Many curry favour with a ruler, and everyone is the friend of one who gives gifts. The righteous choose their friends carefully, but the way of the wicked leads them astray. Do not make friends with, hot -tempered, with a hot-tempered person. Do not associate with one easily angered, or you may learn their ways and get yourself ensnared. A perverse person stirs up conflict, and a gossip separates close friends. Whoever would foster love covers over an offence, but whoever repeats the matter separates close friends. As iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. Have you heard of a TV programme called Friends? Yeah? It was a comedy about the lives of six friends living in Manhattan in New York City. It ran for a decade, 10 years, 10 seasons. It became one of the most popular TV series of all time. The final episode of Friends was watched by over 52 million people just in America. Now the theme tune of Friends was a catchy, infectious jingle by a band called the Rembrandts, who I don't think anyone knows for anything else except this song, I'll Be There For You. The success of this song because of the program, made the Rembrandts rich. You've probably heard this song many times, but I want uh, to read you some of the words, not sing them, and just listen to the promise that is being made in these lyrics. So no one told you life was going to be this way. Your job's a joke, you're broke, your love life's DOA. It's like you're always stuck in second gear when it hasn't been your day, your week, your month, or even your year. But... I'll be there for you when the rain starts to pour. I'll be there for you like I've never been there before. I'll be there for you because you're there for me too. Now, later on in the song, it continues. It kind of reaches a crescendo with these words. No one could ever know me. No one could ever see me. Seems like you're the only one who knows what it's like to be me. Someone to face the day with. Make it through all the rest with. Someone I'll always laugh with. Even at my worst, I'm best with you. Yeah. <laughs> that's what it says. Now, that's quite a promise, isn't it? I'll be there for you when the rain starts to pour. That's a, quite a promise in Manchester. <laughs> and isn't that a promise that we wish could be true? Imagine having friends like that, or even just one friend like that, who really knows me, really sees me, I'll always laugh with, and I'll always be at my best with. Now, modern Western culture is radically 
individualistic. We no longer define ourselves, we no longer think of our identity in traditional ways. In traditional cultures, you were defined by your duties. You knew who you were because you could answer the question, who am I, by your role in the community. You were a mother, you were a son, you were an employee, you were a chief, a tribe member. But now we create our identity by looking within in the West. And the culture says all the time, it says, be yourself. Find out who you are, be true to yourself. And that self is found by looking inside at our own deepest desires and feelings, but it leaves us very, very fragile. In the past, deeply were, people were deeply enmeshed in the extended family. People tended to live in the same street or, or the same village as their uncles, aunts, cousins, grandparents great-grandparents, the whole extended family was in, re in reach. Their lives were defined by a network of relationships. But now, we tend to strike out on our own. We leave home for work, we move for work or for love, for education, and we never go back. What is going to fill the gap of that identity and of that extended family? And the answer is friendship. Friends. We hope that friendship will provide the love, the security, the understanding, the stability that we crave. A friend will help me to be myself. More than that, friendship will help me find myself. Now this helps explain the emphasis on friendship in our culture, and I think it's part of the reason for the success of friends. For many people now, losing a friend or having a friendship breakdown is like a tragedy, deeply upsetting. There's a guaranteed tearjerker in any film is where one of the characters says, but he was my friend. Cue violin music and weeping. Now, friendship is very important, and the Bible says that, and that's why we're looking at friendship this morning. It's really important to living well in God's word, world. We know this. The Bible knows it, and yet, Paradoxically, most of us aren't very good at friendship, if we're honest. In spite of all the talk, most of us don't do friendship that well. We need help. Friendship actually is not natural to us. Friendship is a skill that has to be learned. If you look at a young child, a toddler, the youngest kids in the playground, you can tell that friendship is a skill that has to be learned. And young parents here, you know what it's like you're trying to teach your children about friendship. And wisdom, according to the book of Proverbs, is the skill of living well. Now, the book of Proverbs deals with the small change of everyday life. Uh, the rest of the Old Testament, uh, most of it deals with the big checks, but this is the small change. A couple of weeks ago, I quoted from an Old Testament scholar called Derek Kidner, who said, that there are details of character that are small enough to escape the mesh, the net of God's law. They just sort of slip through God's law. And they escape the broadsides and the challenges of the prophets. But these small details of character are decisive in personal dealings. Kidna meant that God's law deals with the big areas of life of right and wrong and ethics and morality. God's prophets give us great truths and a grand vision of God and the future, and humanity. But the wise ones, the sages, the writers of Proverbs, and Ecclesiastes, which we read from earlier, and Job, and Song of Songs, these people give us help with day-to-day -day living. Wisdom deals with our messy lives, because life is complicated, 
and because there are plenty of situations where you don't have a rule book. It's not a clear question of right and wrong, but of good judgment, of discernment, of wisdom. Plenty of situations where there's no hard and fast rule to apply. You need wisdom to know what to do. And so God gives us hundreds of proverbs in this book that we're studying. And I would encourage you to take up this deal, a life-changing book at a low, low price. We're going to discover today uh, about friendship. We're going to take this topic, and as you can see, we picked Proverbs from around the book. They're dotted here and there, and discover that Proverbs has great wisdom for us on this important area of our lives. Here are four points about friendship. Character, caution, challenge, and creator. The character of friendship, caution about friendship, the challenge of friendship, and the creator of friendship. So firstly, if you'd like to look at your sheet on the left-hand side, the character of friendship. What is its character? What is its essence? What's the nature of friendship? And when we read Proverbs, we find out that there's actually two kinds of friendship, true and false. There's genuine, authentic friendship, and there is friendship that's actually inauthentic and counterfeit. It's important to, to find this out because you may have true and false friends at the same time, but it's hard to tell which is which. True friendship, three points here. It's loyal, honest, and joyful. Read with me again, Proverbs 17, 17. A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for a time of adversity. Proverbs 18, 24. One who has unreliable friends soon comes to ruin. But there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Notice what these verses say. No matter what the season, a friend always loves you. All times refers to all the changing scenes of life, trouble and enjoy. You know, we make this promise in the, the wonderful Church of England marriage service. We promise to love one another in sickness and in health, for richer, for poorer, for better, for worse, for the good times and the bad times and the ugly times. And that, according to Proverbs, is one of the defining marks of true friendship. A friend can even be better than a sibling. A friend sticks closer than a brother. A good friend is sticky. A friend who sticks closer than a brother. Now, it's a remarkable statement in a culture that prized family much more than we do. Your family have to stand by you, don't they, most of the time? Your family have to because they are family. But a true friend chooses you. He or she cherishes you for who you are. They will be there for you. The song was right, actually, in some ways. I'll be there for you when the rain starts to pour. They will be there for you if they are true friends, even when it costs them in time, in energy, in emotional e effort, in support. They will be there for you even if it costs them and even when they have to do most of the giving. That is loyalty. That is a true friend. Secondly, true friendship is honest. Look at uh, 27 verse 5 and 6. Better is an open rebuke than hidden love. Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. What an interesting phrase. How do you like the sound of wounds? 
A true friend will hurt you, but never harm you. A wound here means an open rebuke. That's how, how we, what we see in verse 5. An open rebuke. A real friend tells you what you need to hear. Even if it's hard to say, and they have to screw up their courage to say it, and it's painful for you to receive. A true friend goes into the awkward zone. They do it in love. True friendship never harms, but it does hurt. And a true friend is someone you've given permission to say those things to you. This book, the, the devotional that we, we have here today, says this quote, if you are too afraid to say what needs to be said, you really are an enemy of your friend's soul. If you are too afraid to say what needs to be said, you are really an enemy of your friend's soul. We need people who love us enough to rebuke and challenge us. We need friends who will counsel us and speak truth to us and point things out about us, out of love for us. And we cannot live well without such people. Why? Because without them, we become self-centered and self-preoccupied. Without such friends, our world shrivels and shrinks around ourselves. We only, only look at ourselves. And without friends to challenge and friends to love, we become much less than we were made to be. True friendship is loyal. True friendship is honest. Thirdly, true friendship is joyful. Look at uh, chapter 27, verse 9. Perfume and incense bring joy to the heart, and the pleasantness of a friend springs from their heartfelt advice. Perfume and incense are pleasant things, aren't they? They often have the impact of lifting the soul. Somehow, what we smell changes our mood. And, you know, there are some people who are so fragrant that walking into a room with them just makes you feel better. They make life more fragrant. Some smells, some appeals to the senses is simply delightful. And great thinkers about friendship from Aristotle right through to C.S. Lewis have commented that the heart of true friendship lies in the moment where you connect with another person and you say, what? You? Wow! Me too! We see things the same. I, never, I thought I was the only one that ever saw that, but you see the same. I thought I was the only one. How precious is a true friend? Someone to share your heart with. Someone who sees the world like you. Someone who listens to you and takes the time to understand you in all your weirdness. Someone who gets you because they take the effort to understand. Someone who is ready with an appropriate and timely word. Here's what it says about such a friend, the pleasantness of a friend. Pleasantness, that word can also be translated sweetness. This kind of friendship is one that is intrinsically sweet, it's delightful delectable and very precious. Now, sweetness gets a bit of a hard time in our culture because of the sugar tax and the amount of extra sweetener that's added to food and things, drinks, and we're right to have a sugar tax. But in the ancient world, there was no extra sugar, so things that were sweet were naturally so and very, very delicious. You couldn't put a price on a friendship like this. How pleasant it is. True friendship is loyal, honest, but very pleasant. And that's why we need to value it. But we also need to beware 
It's counterfeit, which is the false friendship. Look at the foot of the page. There's a couple of proverbs. Uh, the poor are shunned even by their neighbors, but the rich have many friends. Wealth attracts many friends, but even the closest friend of the poor person deserts them. And thirdly, many curry favor with the ruler. You, you only thought you could curry chicken, didn't you? But there you go. Many curry favor with the ruler, and everyone is the friend of one who gives gifts. What's going on here? Proverbs often uses an extreme statement to make a wise point. And the way that Proverbs works is it gives you this kind of slightly mysterious thing and you have to ponder it and it takes time. It's like a slow release capsule that you have to absorb uh, or, or something you have to chew over in order to get the goodness out of it. And here it's giving us this window on reality, which is this, many relationships Perhaps most relationships are basically a transaction. People engage in the relationship because they want to get something out of it. That's why wealth attracts many friends. And those who fall out of favor, who fall out of luck, who lose everything often find most of their friends desert them. But person who gives gifts, they'll always have lots of friends. I remember people like that at school some years, a friend of mine told me that whenever he met a new person, uh, in his mind, he was thinking, what's the ERP? And he then told me that ERP stood for the estimated relationship potential. And if the ERP was low, he would try to end the conversation quickly. It's harsh, isn't it? Do we do that? People seek out friends because of benefits, social benefits. Being with the popular person, the important person, the cool insider in your social circle. A friend can get you in when you've always been on the outside. An influential friend, you feel, can give you more influence, social benefits. Then there can be economic benefits. People think that making friends with someone rich will in some way enrich them. The more senior you become in the workplace, the more likely people will want to get to know you to advance yourselves. Maybe you're starting to find that already. I used to work in headhunting, executive level recruitment, and I remember one time at a breakfast meeting, a senior partner at the company who'd done very well, and at one point had owned his own private jet. So when I say he did well, he did well. He encouraged the staff to take up a hobby where they could befriend potential clients. And he gave a couple of examples of successful headhunters who had taken up golf, or in one case, shooting, in order to hang out with the right social circle. Economic benefits. Then there are emotional benefits. Do you know what? Let me, let me tell you a secret I've discovered. You know that underneath we are all basically insecure. All of us. Most of us feel like imposters. One person said to me, by the time I was in my 40s, I felt so fake that if I stood next to a lamp, I thought the light would shine right through me and people would see it through me. Many of us feel unhappy a lot of the time and anxious. And the glittering promise of friendship is of someone who will make up the lack, someone who will cheer me up, bring light and joy. And as we've seen, joy is a genuine aspect of friendship, but beware. The false friend is only in it for themselves. He or she is draining you. And if you stop and watch, you realize that it is one-way traffic. It's one-way traffic. 
you feel drained by them, not energized. It's a sure sign of a false friend. You come away from being with them and it's actually draining. A sure sign of it too is the person who only talks about themselves and never asks you a question. You notice the conversation always goes one way. Now, what do these proverbs show us? False friendship is fickle, it is self-serving, and it's on the take, it's taking. Now look, a true friend and a false friend can look identical on the outside, yet in one case, the friend is seeking what they can get from you, and in the other case, the friend loves you for who you are and is committed to you. So what's the key difference? A false friend sees you as a means to an end. The poor are shunned even by their neighbors, but the rich have many friends. A false friend sees you as a means to an end. I met a young man recently from another country. He was speaking great English, and I complimented him on it, and I asked him how he'd learned such great English. Not at school, he said. I wanted to learn English, so I deliberately made friends with people who I could learn it from people who were good at speaking English, and I hung out with them as often as I could. <laughs> he was quite shameless about it. The reason he chose his friends was another goal, which was to learn English. He used them. People do it all the time. Do you use people? Do you make them feel that they're friends, but in fact you're asking something else from them? There's the character of friendship. It can be true or false. When it's true, it's the most beautiful thing in the world. Loyal, honest, a joy. When it's false, it's really awful, isn't it? Now, therefore, we need caution. Second point, caution in friendship. We need discernment. And Proverbs, the Bible, actually urges us to be very cautious and discerning in friendship. How can we learn this? Look at what it says here. Chapter 12, verse 26. The righteous... Choose their friends carefully, but the way of the wicked leads them astray. This is telling us to be discerning in our choice of friendships. It says the righteous are wise and they're careful about who they're going to give themselves to. Why? Because friends are so important and so influential in our lives, we need to exercise care as to who gets to be a true friend. Which means that even when we enjoy that me too moment with a person, we need to think about other factors that might shape who we would pursue a friendship with. Aristotle, in a classic work on friendship, identified three types of friendship. Firstly, he said there's friendship based on utility, usefulness. This friendship is good because it's useful at this moment. So when the reason for the friendship disappears, so too does the friendship. Sometimes these kind of friends don't even really like each other. Quote, they take pleasure in each other's company only insofar as they have hopes of advantage from it. Second type of friendship is one based on pleasure. It's typical of friendships when we're young. It's just fun to be with that person. Young people are often dictated to by their feelings and their chief interest is their own pleasure. But as our tastes change, we're quick to make and break friendships. But the third type of friendship that Aristotle observed was one based on goodness. Only the friendship of those who are good and similar in their goodness is true. For these people wish good for the other. They wish good for the other. And it is those who desire the good of their friends for the friend's sake that are most truly friends. Let me say it again. 
It is those who desire the good of their friends for their friends' sake that are most truly friends. Ancient wisdom. Look at verse 22, uh, chapter 22, verse 24 and 25. More warnings about caution. Do not make friends with a hot-tempered person. Do not associate with one easily angered. Or you may learn their ways and get yourself ensnared. Be wary, it says, of the hot-tempered person, the person who's got a quick temper and loses it habitually. We all get angry from time to time. It's part of how we're made. But there is such a thing as a hot-tempered person who makes a habit of it. We sometimes talk about anger issues. We even have anger management. It says, be very careful. In fact, don't make friends with them because you will inevitably get caught up in their anger. Now, anger is like a raging fire that spreads like fire does in unintended random ways, scorching and destroying everything in its path. It has a way of inflaming situations beyond what should have happened. A quick-tempered friend will do that. Beware. Hard advice, but true. Next proverb, 1628. A perverse person stirs up conflict and a gossip separates close friends. Whoever would foster love covers over an offense, but whoever repeats the matter separates close friends. This is warning us about a person's use of words, a person's use or abuse of confidences. What are they like when they know something about another person that can harm them? What are they like when they know an offense? Is this person one who is discreet and remains silent and covers it over? The Bible says that love covers a multitude of sins. And that's what God does for us. But not this person. The gossip uh, repeats the offense and stirs up conflict. Some people love stirring. When I was growing up, we used to say, give them a wooden spoon. They love stirring. Stirring up, and it says they separate even close friends. Close friends, people who love each other, people who've invested in each other, can be torn apart by the words, careless words of a gossip. So don't repeat the matter that will separate close friends, even though uh, it might, might give you a certain amount of pleasure, might give you a certain amount of power to repeat a matter. It says here, don't do it. And be, beware of that kind of person in friendship. This sort of person uh, can destroy relationships. So because friendship is a truly good thing, we must beware the counterfeits. Learn to be discerning. Watch out for those who seem to be offering true friendship, but are only interested in themselves and what's in it for them. And beware your own tendency to use people. Let's be true friends. Because time is short, we don't have much of it. And because friendship shapes you, the people you hang around with will influence you beyond what you expect. You become like your friends. Be, be careful of your choice of friends. Be careful who you give yourself to. Are they mature enough to handle what you're sharing? Do they have integrity? Because betrayal cuts terribly deep. Be discerning. But don't be cynical. Don't give up on friendship. Consider thirdly the challenge and the opportunity of friendship. Perhaps the most famous verse on friendship in the Proverbs is here under point three. 
Proverbs 27:17. As iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. As iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. True friends sharpen each other. They clash, but it's constructive. They refine each other. They take off the rough edges, and that will build your character. A true friend will change you. Just think about this image of iron sharpening. Sharpening some iron, maybe, maybe for a use in the kitchen for a knife. My father-in-law always complains that every knife in our kitchen is blunt, and he tends to sharpen them when he's at our house. A blunt knife is fairly useless. A blunt uh, medical instrument, we've got one or two uh, doctors and surgeons in this church. If I ever come under your knife, I really hope it's sharp. I had my hair cut and my beard cut yesterday. I'm glad my barber's knives and scissors are sharp. It would be a pretty difficult haircut without that. We need certain things to be sharp, don't we? And in, the, in wartime, you need to make sure the swords and the spears and the, the arrows are sharp. But just think about what it takes to be sharpened. Just think what it's like for the knife. Having another piece of iron rubbed against it. What does it mean? Heat. Friction. Bits of it are flying off. It's losing something in the process. It's probably not that pleasant to be sharpened. <laughs> and it says here that like iron sharpening a piece of iron is a friend, a person who sharpens you. And here's the thing, friends, you need it. You need that because we all do. This is the kind of person who changes you for the good. And there are things about you that need to change and will only change because of your friends. In other words, true friendship, the challenge of true friendship is this. It is indispensable. It is indispensable if we're going to grow if we're going to flourish, if, we're going to, if you're going to become the person you could be, the person that God wants you to be, the greater, glorious version of yourself, you need friends who will sharpen you. But think what it's like for the knife. Now, this kind of friendship is a gift, so you mustn't give up on it, especially if you've been wronged by a friend or deeply disappointed. I know what the heart does. The heart tends to think, I won't get fooled again. I'm not going to give myself to another person. I've got a layer of hard skin there now. I'm callous. Beware friendship. I'm okay without it. And actually, friends get rarer as we get older, usually. I remember when I was a young undergraduate, my dad drove me and my friend in an old a borrowed minibus all the way up to Nottingham University with all our stuff in it and a couple of bikes, and dropped us off at a, a, a flea-infested, filthy house of six male students. And uh, he was full of trepidation of whether we'd get salmonella looking at the kitchen. And about a term later, he came to pick us up again, and he heard about all the friends we had at the university, first-year students. And he looked at me, and I suppose my dad then would have been about the age I am now. <laughs> And he's, they seem very old. And he said, uh, enjoy this time. You'll probably never have this many friends again. And I remember thinking, what does he know? You know, when I was 19, my dad didn't know much. By the age of 25, I was glad he'd learned a lot. 
Friends get rarer as we get older. A, a meme went round on social media last year, commenting on one of Jesus' lesser known miracles, that he had 12 close friends in his 30s. <laughs> you know, friendship has this, as you get older, you tend to get busier. And friendship is in some ways, uh, you can drop it. You know, you get squeezed out. Uh, but actually it's indispensable. There's a gift in it. There's nothing like it. Because God will use it to make you who you should be. Therefore, we've really got to pursue it. We've got to pursue true friendship. And it, I'm reflecting on this all week. It doesn't necessarily get handed to you on a plate. And I've been reflecting on this. I, I'm actually quite a passive friend. I've been very lucky. I've got a few friends who've pursued me. And I'm, this morning, I'm deeply grateful for them. Because if it had been left to me, I probably wouldn't have any friends now. But they kept coming after me. And they've shaped me. And they still have the power to change me. So how are we doing on this? Friends. We thought about the character of friendship. We thought about the its true and false nature. We thought about caution in it. And we thought about the challenge. I want to challenge you to make friends and be friends. Let me ask you three diagnostic questions. You ready? Who are your best friends? How have they shaped and influenced you? Be discerning. Choose wisely. Secondly, how many real friends do you have with the permission to hurt you constructively? Or are you so guarded and don't give people permission or you're so defensive that you, don't, you block them out? And what kind of friend are you? Are you fair weather or are you loyal? Are you false and concealing or are you honest? Are you draining and demanding or are you a joy? Let's put the effort in to be true friends. But I guess some of us are thinking, well, I don't even know this is possible. There's a great song by the band Radiohead some years ago and sang in the way that only Radiohead could. Do we have any real friends? Are we too selfish? Well, the answer is no, not if we know the gospel, not if we've come to know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, and not if he sent his Holy Spirit to live in us and cause his fruit to ripen in our lives, because we've come to know, fourthly, the creator of friendship. Now, the source of friendship, if you think about it, is the most wonderful thing. It's that our God is a trinity. God is not a monad, a lonely individual who's been on his own through all eternity and finally thought of a great idea that he could get some friends by creating them. No, God is a joyous tri-unity, a community of three who through all eternity have been in loving relationship, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, not three identical persons, all very different. Each has a different role in the Godhead. Could even talk about hierarchy. But there is the essence, the source of friendship that within God Himself is constant, self giving, other serving, sacrificial, delighting, honest, joyful, loyal love. 
That's friendship. God is the source of friendship and his overflow of his love is the thing that when it comes to live in our hearts will turn us into true friends. And finally, let's meditate on the one who will make us into friends. His name is Jesus. And I'm going to end with this reading. It's not on your sheet. I'll read it to you from John chapter 15. And I think as I've come to think about this uh, this week, this is perhaps the most wonderful thing we could read together today. Uh, if you've got the, <clears throat> the blue Bible, oh, I don't know if we gave them out or not, but let me read it to you. It's John chapter 15, and I'll start at verse 9. This is the Lord Jesus speaking not long before he went to the cross, and he says these wonderful words to his followers. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now, remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants. Listen to this. Jesus Christ says, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And so that whatever you ask in my name, the father will give you. This is my command. He repeats it again. Love each other. This is how we find true friendship. Jesus Christ calls you friend. Now that is a breathtaking privilege. In the Old Testament, it was considered a great honor, a great honor to be called the servant of the Lord. Servant of the Lord is a title reserved normally for prophets, the great ones. Here, Jesus says, oh, I'm not calling you servants. I have called you friends. Secondly, remember that Jesus Christ, the second person in the Godhead, knows everything about you. Every single thing you've ever done or thought or said. And he still calls you friend. There's an old hymn that says, I found a friend. Oh, such a friend. He loved me ere I knew him. He says, you didn't choose me. I came looking for you. I chose you and I appointed you to bear fruit. So what? Love each other. Jesus calls us to be friends. We can be friends because of his cross. Because there we see on the lonely hill of Calvary, the friendship of the Trinity was ruptured and shattered as the wrath and righteous anger of God was poured out on Jesus who was crushed for our transgressions. He was wounded. The wounds fell upon him. And there we see the consequences of our self-centeredness and our self-obsession and our self-serving. And there at the cross, we also see the means by which we are set free from serving self and set free to love and worship Jesus. And as we think about our Savior together today, 
as we sing about him, as we meditate on his cross, as we talk about his death, his resurrection, his wonderful ascension to the right hand of God, his rule and his return, as we think about our struggles in life and the joy that he gives us, don't our hearts together say, me too. You know him? He's my king. He's yours too. And here among God's people, we find true friendship is experienced and modeled with people who are completely unlike us from every background. Friends who lay down their lives for each other. Friends who are open and accessible to one another. Friends who love at all times. Friends who will speak the truth in love. Friends who won't repeat a confidence and an offense, but cover it over. Friends who stick closer than a brother. Friends who take responsibility and ownership for each other. Proverbs teaches us that friendship is in, in, essential to living well because we were made to be friends, friends of God and friends of others. And may God give us the grace to be true friends. Let's pray.